Mr. Downey Sits Down, an O. Henry Memorial Award Prize Story of 1921. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mr. Downey Sits Down by L. H. Robbins. 1. Jacob Downey waited in line at the meat shop. A footsore little man was he. All day long, six days a week, for twenty-two years, he had stood on his feet, trotted on them, climbed on them, in the hardware department of Wilbram Prescott and Company, and still they would not toughen, still they would hurt, still to sustain his spirit after three o'clock he had to invoke a vision of slippers, a warm radiator, the evening bee, and the sympathy of Mrs. Downey and the youngsters. To the picture this evening he had added pork chops. The woman next in line ahead of him named her meat. Said the butcher with a side glance at the clock, A crown roast takes quite a while, lady. Could I send it in the morning? No, the lady wished to see it prepared. Expressly for that purpose had she come out in the rain. Tomorrow she gave a luncheon. First come, first served, thought Jacob Downey, and bode his time in patience, feeling less pity for his aching feet than for Butcher Myers. Where was the charity in asking a hurried man, at five minutes to six o'clock, to frill up a roast that would not see the inside of the oven before noon the next day? Now crown roasts are one thing to him who waits on fallen arches, and telephone calls are another. Scarcely had Downey's opening come to speak for pork chops cut medium, when off went the bell, and off rushed Butcher Myers. Sharply he warned the unknown that this was Myers' meat shop. Blandly he smiled into the transmitter upon learning that his caller was Mrs. A. Lincoln Wilbram. By the audience in front of the counter, the following social intelligence was presently inferred that Mr. and Mrs. Wilbram had just returned from Florida, that they had enjoyed themselves ever so much, that they hoped Mr. Meyer's little girl was better, that they were taking their meals at the Clarendon pending the mobilization of their house-servants, that they expected to dine with the Mortimer Trevelyans this evening, that food for the dog may with propriety be brought home from a hotel, but not from the Mortimer Trevelyans, that there was utterly nothing in the ice-box for poor Mudge's supper, that Mudge was a chow-dog purchased by a friend of Mr. Wilbram's in Hong Kong at so much a pound, just as Mr. Myers purchased live fowls, that Mudge now existed not to become chow, but to consume chow, and would feel grateful in his dog-heart if Mr. Myers would, at this admittedly late hour, send him two pounds of bologna and a good bone and that Mrs. Wilbram would consider herself under deep and lasting obligation to Mr. Myers for this act of kindness. Mr. Myers assured Mrs. Wilbram that it would mean no trouble at all. He would send up the order as soon as his boy came back from delivering a beefsteak to the Mortimer Trevelyans. He filled out a slip and stuck it on the hook. "'Now, Mr. Downey,' he said briskly, but Jacob Downey gave him one tremendous look and limped out of the shop. 2. 
It was evening in the home of Miss Angelina Lance. Twenty-seven hours had passed since Jacob Downey's exasperated exit from Meyer's meat shop. The eyes of Miss Angelina were bright behind her not unbecoming spectacles, as she watched the face of the solemn young man in the Morris chair near the reading lamp. In his hand the solemn young man held three sheets of school composition paper. As he read the pencil writing on page one, he lost his gravity. Over page two he smiled broadly. At the end of the last page he said, D.K.T. couldn't have done better. May I show it to him? In the office of the Ashland, New Jersey B., the solemn young man was known as Mr. Sloan. At Miss Lance's he was Sam. The mentioned D.K.T. conducted the celebrated B. Stings column on the editorial page of Mr. Sloan's journal, his levity being offset by the sobriety of Mr. Sloan, who was assistant city editor. On two evenings a week Mr. Sloan fled the cares of the fourth estate and became Sam in the soul-refreshing presence of Miss Angelina. He was by no means her only male admirer. In the sixth grade at the Hilldale Public School she had thirty others, among these Willie Downey, whose name appeared on every page of the composition Mr. Sloan had read. With a host of other sixth-graders throughout the city, Willie had striven that day for a prize of ten dollars in gold offered by the public-spirited A. Lincoln Wilbram of Wilbram Prescott and Company for the best schoolboy essay on moral principles. Moral principles, gentlemen, that is what we need in Ashland. How many men do you know who stand up for their convictions, or have any to stand up for? If the head of a department store is a bit thunderous at times, think what a Jovian position he occupies. In his cloud-girt, mahogany-paneled throne room on the eighth floor, he rules over a thousand mortals, down to the little Jacob Downies in the basement, who, if they do not quite weep with delight when he gives them a smile, tremble at least at his frown. When a large body of popular opinion accords him greatness, were he not undemocratic to affect humility and speak small? I speak of common men, said Mr. Wilbram, this was at a Chamber of Commerce banquet, of men whose living depends upon the pleasure of their superiors. How few there are with fearless eye! He scarcely heard the laughter from a group of building contractors at a side table who had not seen a servile eye among their workmen in many moons. For a worthy project had popped into his mind at that instant. How was the moral backbone of our yeomanry to be stiffened save through education? Why not a prize contest to stimulate the interest of the rising generation in this obsolete subject? In many an Ashland home where bicycles, roller skates, wireless outfits, and other such extravagances were strongly desired, the question had since been asked, Pa, what are moral principles? While some of the resulting essays indicated a haziness in paternal minds, not so the production that Mr. Sloan read in Miss Lance's parlor, but I couldn't let you print it, said Miss Angelina. I wouldn't have Willie shamed for anything. 
he may be weak in grammar but he's captain of every athletic team in the school he has told me in confidence that he means to spend the prize money for a genuine horsehide catching mitt if i cross out his name or give him a nom de plume on that condition miss lance consented three at the office next morning sloan found the essay in his pocket and looked around the city room for d k t the staff poet clown was no daylight saver professing to burn the midnight oil in the interest of his employer he seldom drifted in before half-past nine see me s s wrote sloan and dropped willie's manuscript on d k t s desk then he jumped and gasped and copy-readers and office-boys jumped and gasped and the religious editor dashed frantically for the stairs outrunning the entire staff down the hall though he had farther to go than any other man or woman there a huge heart-stopping shock had rocked the building set the windows to clattering and the lights to swinging and brought down in a cloud the accumulated dust of a quarter century within two minutes by the clock sloan and five reporters had started for the scene of the rutland disaster fifteen miles away where enough giant powder had gone up in one terrific blaze to raise gibraltar a thriving town lay in ruins hundreds of families were homeless a steamship was sunk at her dock a passenger train blown from the rails at eleven o'clock on the night following that pitiful day sloan journeyed homeward to ashland in an interurban trolley car in company with a crowd of refugees a copy of the last edition of the bee comforted his weary soul the first page was a triumph count on the office staff to back up its men in the field there was the whole story the horror and heartbreak finely displayed there were his photographs of the wreckage there in a box was his interview with the superintendent of the rutland company there was a map of the devastated area perhaps someone had found time even to do an editorial in that case the clean-up would be complete opening the paper to the sixth page he groaned for the first thing that caught his eye was willie downey's essay at the top of d k t s column with willie's name below the headline moral principles by willie downey age twelve moral principles is when you have a nerve to stick up for something like last night my father went in myers meat shop and stood in line for fifteen or twenty men waiting his turn and when his turn come he says to mr myers i'll have six pork chops at that inst the telephone rang and mr myers slid for it like it was second base hold on myers says pa who got here first me or that bell ringer excuse me just one min says mr myers no i be ding if i'll excuse you says pa first come first served is the rule of business all over but mr myers wiped his hands on his apron and answered the ring and it was mrs will brum she was going to eat out at a friend so she wanted two pounds bologna and a dog bone so then pa gave him hail columbus 
"'Here I've been waiting one half an hour,' he said, "'yet when some lazy loafer of a woman who has been reading a novel or asleep all afternoon "'phones you to rush her up some dog-meat in your auto with gas thirty-six cents "'and charge it to her act, and maybe you won't get your money for three, four months,' why you run to wait on her while i stand and shovel my feet in your sawdust like a ding mexican bee-own or something what says pa is there about a customer who takes the trouble to come in for his meat and pay cash for it and delivers it himself that makes him so mean and low that he has to be pushed one side for somebody that has not got gumption enough to order her dog-bones before the rush o'er. Do you think that people with a telephone's money is any better than mine? Do you think because I walk in here on my hind legs that I am a piker and a cheap skate? Because if so, I will bring along my telephone contract next time and show you, and then maybe you will recognize me as a free-born American who don't have to trade where I have to play second fiddle to a chow pup. It's against my moral principles, says Pa. With Thea's words he walks out in the rain, although his feet hurt him, clear down to Washington Street to the next meat store, but by that time they were all closed up, so we had principles for supper instead of pork chops. Pa says if he run a store and had a phone and nobody to answer it and do nothing else, he would wring its neck because while the telephone is the greatest blessing of the age but a phone without an operator is like a ham omelette with the ham let out he says the reason the chain stores have such a pull with the public is because the man behind the counter is not all the time jilting you in the middle of your order and chasing off to be sweet to some society dame with a dog four miles away Ma says she don't know why we have a phone anyhow, because every time she is yowsing it, a woman butts in and jiggles the hook and says, will you please hang up so I can call a doctor, and when Ma hangs up and then listens in to see who is sick, why this woman calls up a lady friend, and they knock Ma back and forth over the wire for oars, and sometimes they say, I bet she is listening in on us, don't you? so i say let us all stick up for our moral principles like my father come what may four bright were miss angelina's eyes but not with mirth it was unspeakable this thing that mr sloan had done thrice before bedtime she had called his lodgings mr sloan was not in before the last call she donned her wraps and went out to plume street courageously she pulled the bell at number nine willie's mother opened the door and cried surprised why miss lance is willie here have you seen the paper will you let me tell him how it happened and how sorry i am willie was not receiving callers this evening he had been sent to bed without supper the explosion at rutland had been as nothing it seemed to the outburst in the downey home slowly the extent of the harm dawned upon miss angelina 
"'It was Mrs. A. Lincoln Wilbram wanted the dog-bone,' said Mrs. Downey tearfully. "'Everybody will recognize her, and what Mr. Wilbram will do to us we don't need to be told. "'Poor Jake is so upset he has gone out to roam in the dark. He couldn't stay in the house.' New jobs were scarce for men at his time of life, and with his feet. Dora and Jenny might have to leave high school. "'I'm sure you meant us no wrong, Miss Lance. I'm sure there was a mistake. But think how dreadful it is, after twenty-two years of having Mr. Wilbram's pay, then to turn around and backbite his wife like that, right out in print.' Doubly troubled now, Miss Lance departed. Attracted by a quick gathering of loiterers in the avenue, she witnessed a controversy that might easily have become a police matter. "'You're a liar if you say you said all that to me,' shouted the burly butcher Myers. "'You never opened your head, you shrimp, bawling me out in the papers and losing me my best customers. What do you mean?' Back came the retort from Jacob Downey with the snarl of a little creature at bay. "'If I didn't say it to you then, you big lobster, I say it to you now. "'All that the paper says I said I say. "'What'll you do about it?' "'Ha! You!' Myers snapped his fingers in Downey's fiery face and turned away. Miss Lance's path to the Hilldale School next morning took her past three post-boxes. Into the third she dropped a note that she had carried from home. Mr. Sloan would find her message exceedingly brief, although, or perhaps because, she had spent hours in composing it. Dear Sir, I regret to discover that you lack moral principles. Angelina Lance Just before the last bell the janitor brought in a prisoner for her custody. Willie Downey's head was bloody but unbowed. Three seventh graders he had vanquished in one round. They guide me, said he. They called me a Nawthor. Morning prayer and song waited while teacher and pupil spoke earnestly of many things, while the teacher's eyes filled with tears, and the pupil's heart filled with high resolve to bring home the baseball championship of the Ashland Public School League and lay it at Miss Angelina's feet, or perish in the attempt. 5. The A. Lincoln Wilbram Prize went to a small boy named Aaron Levinsky, whose English was ninety-nine percent pure. Little Aaron's essay was printed as the centerpiece in Wilbram Prescott and Company's page in the B. Little Aaron invested his gold in thrift stamps, and the tumult and the shouting died. Miss Angelina Lance sat alone every evening of the week. True, Mr. Sloan had tried to right the wrong. He had called Miss Angelina on the telephone, which he should have known was an inadequate thing to do. He had also sent a ten-dollar banknote to Willie, in care of Miss Lance at the Hilldale School, together with his warm felicitations upon Willie's success as a literateur. Did Willie know that his fine first effort had been reprinted with proper credit in the great New York planet? True, too, the illustrious D.K.T. had written Miss Angelina an abject apology, most witty and poetic, taking all the blame to himself, and more than exonerating his high-principled friend Mr. Sloan. But the banknote went back to its donor without even a rejection slip. 
and DKT's humor was fatal to his client's cause. Ghastly are they who jest in the shadow of tragedy. Mr. Sloan and DKT did not know, of course, Miss Angelina had not thought it of any use to tell them, of the sword which they had hung up by a thread above the heads of the Downies. As for Jacob Downey, he limped about amid his hardware in the basement at Wilbram Prescott and Company, careworn, haunted of eye, expecting the house to crash about his ears at any moment. One does not with impunity publish the wife of one's employer as a lazy loafer. The A. Lincoln Wilbrams had servants again and dined at home. To Mr. Wilbram, said Mrs. Wilbram one evening, it is the strangest thing. In the last month I have met scarcely a soul who hasn't asked me silly questions about Mudge and his diet, Mrs. Trevelyan and everybody. And they always look so queer. Mr. Wilbram was reminded that while coming home that evening with a package in his hand, he had met Trevelyan, and Trevelyan had inquired, What's that, a bone for the dog? Tomorrow, said A. Lincoln, I'll ask him what he was driving at. What was the package? queried his wife. He fetched it from the hall. It had come to him at the store that day by registered mail. From Hildegard, said Mrs. Wilbram, noting the Los Angeles postmark. Hildegard was honeymooning among the orange groves, wrote the happy bride. Dear aunt and uncle, Charles and I see by the paper that Mudge is hungry, so we are sending him a little present. What can the child mean, Abe? Don't ask me, he answered. Undo the present and see. They loosened blue ribbons and wrappings of soft paper and disclosed a link of bologna sausage. Maddening? It might have been, if Hildegard had not thought to enclose a page from the Daily Southern Californian, upon which, ringed with pencil marks, was a bit of miscellany headed Morel Principles. They read it through to the conclusion. So I say let us all stick up for our moral principles like my father come what may. Willie Downey in Ashland, New Jersey, B. Why, why, it's, it's me, cried Mrs. Wilbram. I did telephone to Mr. Myers for two pounds of bologna and a dog bone on the night we dined at the Trevelyans. It comes mighty close to libel, fumed Wilbram. How do they dare? You must see Worthington Oaks about this, Abe. I certainly will, he vowed. 6. He certainly did, as Mr. Worthington Oaks, the publisher of The Bee, will testify. In the front office on the editorial floor he saw Mr. Oaks for a bad half-hour and demanded a public retraction of the insult. At about the same time a dapper stranger who had come up in the elevator with Mr. Wilbram held speech with assistant city editor Sloan in the local room at the other end of the hall. "'Yonder's your bird,' said Mr. Sloan, pointing to a poetic-looking young man at a desk in a corner. Crossing to the poet, who was absorbed in his day's poesy and talking to himself as he versified, the stranger smiled and spoke. Am I addressing the celebrated D.K.T.? Am, cam, dam, dam, ham, jam, lamb. The faraway look of genius faded out of the poet's eyes. 
"'Not buying,' said he. "'My pay-envelope is mortgaged to you book agents for ten years to come. "'Ma'am, ram, sam, cram, clam, gram, slam. "'Books are not my line,' said the dapper one briskly. "'I represent the Jones Nonpareil Newspaper Syndicate. "'In fact, I am Jones.' I have a proposition to make to you, Mr. D.K.T., that may enable you to buy more books than you can ever read. You know, of course, what the Jones Nonpareil service is. We reach the leading dailies of the United States and Canada. Have a chair, Mr. Jones. Thank you. We handle some very successful writers. Malcolm Hardy, you may have heard, takes his little five hundred a week out of us and poor larry bonner pulled down eleven hundred as long as he had health his chinese laundryman sketches might be selling yet suspense is cruel spoke d k t eagerly let the glad news come some time ago said the syndicate man you printed in your column an essay in imitation of a schoolboy's you called it moral principles d k t sank back with a low moan "'If you can write six of those a week for a year,' continued the visitor, "'you won't ever need to slave any more. "'You can burn your pen and devote the rest of your life to golf and good works.' "'The poet closed his eyes. "'Sham, swam, diagram,' he murmured. "'Does a minimum guarantee of fifteen thousand a year look like anything to you? "'There will, of course, be the book rights and the movie rights in addition.' anagram epigram telegram flim-flam aha cried d k t siam he wrote it down that little skit of yours pursued the caller has swept the country you've created a nationwide demand my ringer is on the journalistic pulse and i know can you repeat he drew a paper from his pocket-book here is a list of subjects your imaginary willie downey might start with the monetary system, the cost of living, the League of Nations, capital and labor. Over the stranger's head an office-boy whispered significantly, "'Front office!' "'Excuse me,' said the poet, and hurried away. With the publisher in the front office sat A. Lincoln Wilbram, quite purple in the cheeks. They had a file of the bee before them. "'Diedrich,' said Mr. Oakes, on March 18th you printed this thing, his finger on Willie's essay. Why did you do it? What's the matter with it, replied D.K.T. The matter with it, spoke Mr. Wilbram terribly, is that it slanders my wife. It makes her out to eat dog bones. Friends of ours as far away as California have seen it and recognized her portrait drawn by your scurrilous pen. THE WORST OF IT IS, THE SLANDER IS FOUNDED ON FACT. BY WHAT RIGHT DO YOU AIR MY DOMESTIC AFFAIRS BEFORE THE PUBLIC IN THIS OUTRAGEOUS FASHION? WITH AGONIZED EYES THE FUNNY MAN READ THE ESSAY AS FAR AS THE FATEFUL LINE. IT WAS MRS. WILL BRUM. MY GOSH, HE CRIED. HOW DID YOU COME TO WRITE SUCH A THING, MR. OAKES DEMANDED? ME WRITE THAT THING? IF ONLY I HAD. The facts were recalled, the sending of Mr. Sloan and many reporters to Rutland, the need of extra hands at the copy-table that day. I found this contribution on my desk. It looked safe. In the rush of the morning I sent it up, and never gave it another thought. So it is really a boy's essay, and not some of your own fooling? asked Oakes. 
a boy's essay yes entered in mr wilbram's prize contest eliminated by the boy's teacher and shown by her to mr sloan who brought it to the shop i know now that sloan meant me to change the author's name to save the kid from ridicule if there were actual persons in it i'm as amazed as mrs wilbram i wonder oakes said wilbram that a dignified newspaper like yours would print such trash in the first place worthington oakes looked down his nose d k t took up the challenge trash sir if it's trash why has the ashland telephone asked permission to reprint it on the front cover of their next directory have they asked that they have they say they will put a little moral principle into the telephone hogs in this town and didn't a fifth avenue minister preach a sermon on it last sunday doesn't the literary review give it half a page this week hasn't it been scissored by almost every exchange editor in the land isn't there a man in the city-room now offering me fifteen thousand a year to write a daily screed like it you can see wilbram said mr oakes that there was no intention to injure or annoy we are very sorry but how can we print an apology to mrs wilbram without making the matter worse who is this willie downey demanded wilbram and who is the school-teacher i don't believe my moral principles will let me tell you replied d k t i'm positive mr sloanes won't let him we received the essay in confidence enough said mr wilbram exclaimed rising good day to you i don't need your help anyway i'll find out from the butcher seven it seemed necessary that mr sloan should call at the lance home that evening whatever miss angelina might think of him it was his duty to take counsel with her for the welfare of willie he began with the least important of the grave matters upon his mind do you suppose your protege could write some essays like the one we printed why mr sloan if miss angelina had responded why you hyena she could not have cut him more deeply than with her simple why mr sloan a newspaper syndicate he explained has offered d k t a fortune for a series of them poor willie she sighed he flunked his english exam to-day i'm afraid i shall have him another year he is a lucky boy said sloan do you think so clearly her meaning was do you think he is lucky when a powerful newspaper goes out of its way to crush him there is no use approaching him with a literary contract not with the baseball season just opening his team beat the watersides yesterday sixteen nothing he has more important business on hand than writing for newspapers since sloan wrote for a newspaper this was rather a dig nevertheless he persevered a lincoln wilbram is on his trail do you know that willie libelled mrs wilbram oh sam surely i know about the libel but is is mr wilbram really has he discovered he came to the office to-day we gave him no information but he has other sources he is bound to identify his enemy before he quits i didn't know about the so-called slander at first said she when i-when you when i promised to change willie's name i found out when i went to them on the night it came out in the paper they were woefully frightened they are frightened still 
Mr. Downey has worked for Mr. Wilbram since he was a boy. They think of Mr. Wilbram almost as a god. It's, it's a tragedy, Sam, to them. Would it do any good to warn them? They need no warning, said Miss Angelina. Don't add to their terrors. I am more sorry than I can say. May I hope to be forgiven some day? There's nothing to forgive, Sam. It was an accident. But don't you see what a dangerous weapon a newspaper is? Worse than a car or a gun, he agreed. As he strolled homeward along a stately avenue, wondering what he could do to avert the retribution that moved toward the Downies, and finding that his assistant city editor's resourcefulness availed him not, he heard the scamper of feet behind him and whirled about with cane upraised in time to bring a snarling chow-dog to a stand. "'Beat it, you brute!' he growled. "'Yelp!' responded the chow-dog and leaped in air. "'Don't be alarmed,' spoke a voice out of the gloom of the nearest lawn. "'When he sees a man with a stick he wants to play.' Sloane peered at the speaker's face. "'Isn't this Mr. Wilbram?' You are at the B office today, sir. May I have a word with you about the Willie Downey matter? Come in, said Mr. Wilbram. 8. On the first payday in May, the impending sword cut its thread. Said a messenger to Jacob Downey, They want you on the eighth floor. Downey set his jaws and followed. In the mahogany-panelled room, A. Lincoln Wilbram turned from the window and transfixed his servitor with eyes that bored like steel bits. Downey, I understand you have a literary son. Jacob held his breath, eyed his accuser steadily, and assured himself that it would soon be over now. How about it, Downey? I know what you mean, sir. Did you say the things printed there? The little man wasted no time in examining the newspaper clipping. Yes, sir, I did. If it has come to your lady's ears what I called her, I beg her pardon, but what I said I'll stick to. If I stand fifteen minutes in line in a meat store or any other kind of store, I've got the right to be waited on ahead of anybody that rings up. I don't give a ding who she is. Good for you, Downey. Let me see. How long have you worked for us? Twenty-three years next January, sir. Floor salesman all the while? Since nineteen hundred. Before that I was a wrapper. How many men have been promoted over your head? Three. Four, Wilbram corrected. First was Miggins. I don't count him, sir. Him and I started together. Miggins was a failure. Then Ferrisell, now in prison. Next McCarty. He ran off to Simmons and company the minute they crooked a finger at him. Last young Prescott, who is now to come up here with his father. Could you run the department if you had it? Between you and I, replied Jacob Downey, sick, dizzy, trembling, I've been running the department these fifteen years. How'd you like to run it from now as manager? When I find a man with convictions and courage, I advance him. The man who stands up is the man who sits down. That's evolution. If you could stand up to a big butcher like Myers and talk Dutch to him the way you did, I guess we need you at a desk. What do you say? A desk! A chance to rest his feet! 
Jacob Downey stiffened. Mr. Wilbram, I, I got to tell the truth. I never said those things to Myers. I just walked out. But you said them. You acknowledge it. I said em, yes, after I got home. To the family I said em. When I was in the meat shop I only thought em. So Myers has told me, said Jove, smiling. Downey, my man, you've got more than moral courage. You've got common sense to go with it. Tell young Prescott to give you his keys. End of Mr. Downey Sits Down